so good to be back. Um, I'm just kind of slightly adjusting to the reality of here you are up on a slope. Um, I mean, you all look amazing, so you know, be confident. So um, it, is, it is wonderful to be back. And kind of what I want to do in the next couple of weeks is really kind of reset where we're going uh, as a church, just to kind of get that back up on the radar. So, you know, when you go through a couple of lockdowns and where are we? We're at Curate, we're at Studio TNA, we're back online, we're here. It can kind of really easy to kind of miss exactly where are we going? And it feels like we can be in a bit of a swamp. By the way, I've got a bit of a, I haven't, I haven't just returned from Wuhan. I've just got a, I've just got, um, what's it called? Just, uh, I know, it's a terrible joke, isn't it? So, the wontons, though, are amazing. It's worth a trip. Um, but I've got um, hay fever. So this is a, two, this is a true two-drink sermon. So I'll hopefully only get through one of them. But, um, so what I want to do is kind of reset us on kind of the, the sense of like, hey, where are we going? What's God calling us to uh, as a church? And so what I want to do is just kind of draw out the map for us and to kind of fill in a bit, um, you know, exactly what is God calling us to? And really what I want to do is unpack a little more, hey, what does it mean when St. Augustine's, when we say at St. Augustine's, that we're about practicing the way of Jesus uh, for the renewal of all things. So we're about, obviously we're about practicing the way of Jesus, but how is that not only good for us as guests, as friends and fauna of St. Augustine's, but how is this the means through which God is actually, well, we can participate with God in the renewal of all things. Now, um, you know, it's, I just feel at the moment, you're not gonna hear me often say things like this, but I feel like this word renewal is just so important for us at this moment in time. You know, so many things as we've gone through this funny year, this funny season, have been rethought about and kind of, we've kind of noticed they're broken. Not just for us individually, I mean, like kind of on a large scale. You know, we think about international politics, we think of the way that our international economy works and our relationships. These things, a lot of these things we've recognized actually they're actually broken and they actually need to be uh, renewed. And so we've got this opportunity, we've got this like, I don't know, you don't get these moments in time very often where you can actually grab these opportunities and participate in a way that actually brings about renewal if only we'd have the courage to allow God to use us uh, and change us in the process. So I really want us to grab this because so often is the case when you get caught or you kind of, you feel um, you're in the, kind of these large scale disruptions, the human default is to actually withdraw. The human default is to kind of operate out of safe mode. We get the sense of which things are changing, so I kind of just want to you know, conserve my energy. I don't want to reach out, I don't want to risk things. And we kind of operate out of the safe mode. We kind of think about the idea is to survive, and if I just hang on long enough, maybe we'll just get back to normal. Who's feeling like that? You know, you just kind of hang on, just hang in there. If we just kind of just do this long enough, surely the vaccine's gonna come and we're gonna be fine, right? Just the, but the vision of the Bible is completely different from this. The vision of the Bible is not survival, it's actually flourishing. The vision of the Bible is not let's conserve our energy. The vision of the Bible is actually where does the kingdom of God at work and then let's give ourselves wholeheartedly to that. Does that make sense? You know, the vision of the Bible is actually not just like, let's get back to normal, but it's actually recognizing what ways was the normal actually not um, reflecting some, some of God's justice and peace and flourishing for human life and the ways in which that needs 
uh, to change. So I just want to kind of say that I think renewal is such a key message for us because in many ways, Western culture is going through a midlife crisis, you know, and it's kind of like, doesn't know what to do with itself. But, you know, the call of the gospel is for us to be salt and light out there and to actually bring renewal and bring hope and bring justice and bring a new sense of mercy. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. Come on. So what I want to do today is um, start, I mean, I'm going to do this talk every year, but it's just a way to reset the lens of where we're going. And we start always, as we do, at Matthew 28. Um, so I'm going to, we're going to read this out together. Oh, I'm going to read it out, um, actually. But it's so foundational to who God has been calling us to uh, as a church. So Matthew 28, it's just like, the, the context for this, if you're not familiar with the Gospels, is this is after Jesus' resurrection and just before his ascension. So Jesus has um, been with his disciples, and then he's been to the cross, and it's, you know, it's grisly death. And we're heading to Easter, so we've got to keep this in mind. And then this is after the resurrection, right? So something like he's died, we all saw that, and he's been raised again. Now, the 11 disciples that were with Jesus and went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, remember I was saying to you, this was just after the resurrection, right? Anyone seen a resurrection lately? You know, not often you see it, right? Quite a surprise, quite a thing to pull off, right? Especially, imagine if you're just a small crew of disciples. But what's interesting here is in this group of 11, some doubted. If I was Jesus, I'd be thinking like, gosh, what do I have to do to get you guys across the line? You know, seriously? There were 11 and some doubted. I'd love to know the percentage. You know, was it four? Because that's not good, is it? But, you know? But what it does say to me is really, I mean, is that it's quite a normal thing if, to, if, you are, if you're a person, you may not call yourself a Christian or self-identify as a Christian, but find yourself in a context of um, people who do believe Jesus and are together and, and who worship Jesus. Or it's actually quite, quite common, it's actually in the Bible as we see, to be a, maybe a follower of Jesus and actually everything seems like it should make sense, but I've actually got a few doubts. And if that's any of you today, I just wanna say, you are completely welcome. This, according to the Bible, is actually not an uncommon experience to be having. So if you're here, A, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or B, you are a follower of Jesus, but you're having doubts, just welcome along. You're in good company, right? You're a part of a group of people that literally changed the world. So I just wanna say welcome. Um, it's wonderful to have you as part of uh, the St. Augustine's Fano. The second thing I wanna say is uh, Jesus um, came to them and said to them, make uh, disciples. Isn't it interesting here that Jesus has got the group of disciples. He's not saying them, be disciples. Jesus says for them to make disciples. Make disciples. That's the um, command here. But notice this, because it's super easy to get, kind of, again, because it's so counter to our Western mindset. Because the Western mindset is kind of like, you know, what the idea is, you become a Christian, and then you kind of 
you know, consume ever-increasing amounts of spiritual goods and services. Actually, what the Bible is saying here is that you become a disciple when you're part of creating an environment that is making disciples. Does that make sense? So when you're, you have to be a disciple as a person who's actually a part of an environment that is making disciples. That's, and as we collectively do this, when, when we all do this together, then you individually become. It's quite counter to our individualistic notion of being a disciple. But quite clearly here, Jesus is saying to a group of disciples to go and make disciples. And when we are all part of doing this, then um, we, um, you know, that's how you become. I don't know where we are on a slide deck, but just to go be super nerdy on you, the word make, oh, it is in the slide deck. Uh, the word make there is a second person plural in the Greek. So it's basically saying when we all are part of making, you know, we all make disciples, when we all do that together, then you individually, you know, become uh, a disciple in that process. This is a second person plural. This is like a we all process, not an individually, you know, my, my job is to make a disciple. You know, we're all to participate. All of us are in on this. In fact, this is how you follow Jesus, in, actually according to the Bible. You know, according to the Western frame, it's more like something I do as an individual. No, the, West, the Bible is actually saying that what is so important for us to do is to create an environment where discipleship is being done. And when we do that, then we become a disciple. Now, it's fair to say that the language of discipleship is not often, you know, something that we traffic in, right? It's not language that we, you know, hear each other, you know, talking about every day. And it quite simply, the word methetai, um, um, is a means, oh, see that little use of Greek there? Do you know what? I've got a person up there who's running the slides who's got a PhD in biblical studies and is running a Greek class. I feel very nervous about talking about you know, the second person plural in Greek when, you know, I feel like I'm being tested here. Um, but the word methetes, it just quite simply means apprentice. Or, you know, so um, uh, Plato, the, um, you know, the philosopher Plato, here's a methetes of Socrates. Jesus wasn't the first person to have apprentices or disciples, and he wasn't the last person or the last rabbi uh, to do that either. So when you became a disciple, you just became, you know, you apprenticed yourself to a rabbi. And really an apprentice had one job, there was one thing to do. You were to follow. You were to follow your rabbi around. Now, that wasn't just a metaphor or a nice turn of phrase or something you did on Instagram or TikTok, depending on your age. You know, following meant you actually were with them 24-7. Class wasn't Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 to 11.50. It was 24-7. The idea of being a disciple is you'd be with that person so much so that you became like them. And this is, of course, why Jesus says to the group of disciples, do what? Make disciples, because that's what Jesus did. Does that make sense? So you became an apprentice in um, that process. Now, I have to say, um, you know, I'm super grateful for the church tradition I grew up in. It's given me so many wonderful things. And, but one thing it didn't do is it didn't really hand me a model for discipleship, but rather it more looked like, you know, again, like many of us who have grown up in the Western church, the key thing to be doing is to, you know, ask God to forgive your sin, invite Jesus into your life, 
self-identify as a Christian, read your Bible, pray in the morning, and go to church on Sunday. Now, there's nothing heretical or wrong about that. Let me be absolutely clear. That's absolutely all good and fine, but it's more of a model of spiritual consumption rather than a model of spiritual formation. Does that, is that clear? Like, that approach is kind of like you're not, you're not sliding off the map of theological orthodoxy at this point, but it's just not gonna grow you as a person because this is a model of spiritual consumption, not a model of spiritual formation. And look, the honest truth is, you know, that you can kind of take that model and go this way, but after 15, 20, 30 years um, of using this as a template, people don't really feel like they've changed very much. The only delta is that you've got older. Does that make sense? Actually, not much change uh, happens in that process. And that's because spiritual formation, becoming like Jesus, doesn't just happen. Uh, following Jesus or becoming like Jesus, it doesn't just happen by accident. You know, and that is because of this simple fact. Human beings are not fixed, static creatures. We are always, every one of us, we're always in the process of change. You know, I woke up this morning, I'm 46. How did that happen, right? Every cell of mine is changing, right? It's, we're all in the process of change. We're, we're changing you know, biologically, we're changing neurologically, we're changing uh, spiritually. We are always, every one of us, are in the process of formation. And in our working theory of change here at St. Augustine's, we call this unintentional spiritual formation because we're always in the process of being formed into something, whether we intend that or not. And so often in the case, it is unintentional. We're unintentionally uh, being uh, changed. And what I want to just say here is, in a nutshell, you know, oops, here we go, I'm gonna have a little drink. Um, we're formed by the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that make, help us make sense of reality. You know, human beings are meaning-making creatures, right? We receive all this huge amount of data from our news feeds, our Facebook feeds, we have all these life experiences. We receive whole masses of amount of data all the time, but we need kind of mental maps in order to navigate our way through this data to, to collect it up and make meaning out of it. And so we, get, we receive these uh, mental maps or we receive these uh, narratives around how we make sense of the world um, from either our family, of origin, our culture, it's in the bloodstream of every film we watch, every kind of Facebook story we, we see. And basically we kind of, we use these mental maps to make sense out of the world. And when those mental maps become, you know, like life scripts for us, those mental maps become cemented into our lives. The stories we tell ourselves about how the world works deeply shapes us and shapes our experience of that. So the first part of what you know, forms us is the stories that we tell ourselves um, about the world. The second thing is we're actually, this is an area, this is, you know, this sounds like a bad joke, but this is an area where philosophy, psychology, uh, and uh, theology all agree. Right, be grave if they're all Irish. But they all agree on this one area that in fact we are not much more, human beings are not much more than the habits that form our lives. The things we do on a regular basis you know, form our lives and we basically run on autopilot from the habits that form our lives. And that's actually wonderful. Our brains, are just these, our bodies, our brains are just the most magnificent um, you know, 
organs, most ama- we are most amazing creatures. And so we basically form these habits which frees up a whole lot of CPU space to do other things. Like once you've got the habit down, the, half your brain shuts off and it just runs. It's amazing. But these habits form our lives. And what it means is that these habits, you know, like the, we end up, that the habits that form our life actually also shape our desires. And then our desires shape what we go after. This is what Augustine said in the fourth century. The things that we do actually do things to us. They actually shape our lives. Shape, so the things that we do on the outside, uh, the way that we participate in the world and the, the stuff we do, actually shapes our desires and what's going on on the inside. So what we find is, the more we scroll on Facebook, the more we want to scroll on Facebook. The more we watch Netflix, the more we want to watch Netflix. Just making sense. Yeah, so what we do on the outside shapes us on the inside. And so this is, so the, just like, these are the habits that also form our lives. The third thing to say is we're actually shaped by our human relationships. Human beings are also incredibly porous creatures. You know, it doesn't matter how much we want to stamp our foot and protest like, oh, I'm an individual. I'm gonna do things my way. I'm completely unique. You know, it's, 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 it's rubbish. You're actually deeply shaped by um, the people uh, around you. And this is not uh, new science. And nowhere is this you know, more true than your family of origin, you know, or, or, your, or in the friend group that um, you have. You know, odds are that you look like, sound like, eat like, vote like the people or your, the, your circle of friends. You know, it's, the, it's not new science to say that in fact the people around us shape who we are. We're not just hanging out with them, they're shaping us, um, which is actually a wonderful thing. My point here is this, whatever approach you wanna take to following Jesus, whatever approach you have to take, it has to take an, an account of the fact that formation is already happening. Formation is already uh, in play. So what I'm saying is, if you're gonna become a follower of Jesus, if you want to have the person of Jesus shape your life, you have to be really intentional about this because this process is like, you know, it's like we're swimming in a cultural uh, rip or a current. It's always pulling you in some direction. So if you wanna go here, you need to be intentional about swimming this way and put a bit of effort into it because, or else you just go this way. Is this cool? So to counter these uh, stories, uh, the mental maps that were given to us by our culture, we replace that by um, what we're doing here, by teaching, teaching from the Bible. Who knew, right? But actually the Bible, when you think about it, formed Jesus's mental map of reality. So it's super important that we gather here, that we get teaching, we get taught from the Bible. There's a number of different ways you can receive teaching well in addition to this. Are people taking photos of this? This is great, am I in the shot? <laughs> Is it? Do you know what else? I'm going like really bald. I'm like really self-conscious of these lights. It's like, I'll get out. If there's a lot of, lot of reflection coming off the back, I'm very sorry. I'm sure there's a filter for that. Um, so yeah, so th- these mental maps give us like a picture of reality and they help us to show up to reality. They help us to be people who participate and work with the grain of the universe and so we don't find ourselves working against it. The old rule is you find yourself working against the grain of the universe and you'll get splinters, right? So the idea of teaching, we replace these mental maps with the mental maps that form Jesus's life, which was uh, the Bible, and that helps us to show up to reality. 
We counter um, the practices um, or of the habits of our just normal life with the practices of Jesus. You know, it's a lot more to be said here, but, you know, how do I say this? If we need to be, if we want to be formed the way that Jesus was, you know, if we want to have our life to reflect Jesus's life, we have to think about how did Jesus become like Jesus? Jesus didn't leap from the womb with a beard and sandals out ready to heal people, right? Thank goodness for that. Mary would have been like, I don't know, get some new award for that. Jesus became Jesus. Do you know, it says in the Bible, it says in the book of Hebrews, actually Jesus learnt Jesus learnt obedience through suffering. So Jesus actually learnt, so you've got this model of Jesus is yes, 100% divine, absolutely, but also 100% human. That's absolutely true as well. So part of that Jesus' humanity is Jesus learning to be the Son of God. He's learning how to do that. And not, so not only did he have his mind um, completely kind of shaped and uh, nourished and given a mental map from the Bible, but his life was shaped by spiritual practices, practices of solitude and silence, practices of courage and hospitality, practices of reading the Bible, practice, you know, Jesus went, here's the funny thing, right? We want to be like Jesus. I'm super into that. It's really great. Jesus went to synagogue every week, like as a thing, as a thing. It's just like, yeah, these are the practices that shaped uh, Jesus's life. So in a nutshell, there's no replicating the life of Jesus without replicating the lifestyle of Jesus. There's just no other way uh, to do it. To counter our, um, the uh, relationships, we wanna do life in community. And that's where, this is kind of a new, this is a bit of a struggle for us Westerners because we, you know, we live in the suburbs, I live in Farm Cove, no one even knows where that is, it's so far out in East Auckland, but it's the promised land, let me tell you, it's amazing. You know, we live, we live in all different places, so it's really quite tricky to, you know, we haven't got good models for doing community at the moment, and we're trying, we're, we've begun a model of working, how do we do community well here at St. Augustine's? But it's so important because we know that if we need friends, we need colleagues, we need people journeying along the way who push and pull us uh, towards Jesus and not away from Jesus. You know, the, the reality is, as, you know, as a whanau, we don't grow together. We're not gonna grow much by sitting in rows of chairs like this. You know, if, you know we grow together by sitting around tables, we grow together by sharing wine and conversation and challenge and robust arguments and you know, through encouragement and through transparency and through praying with one another. That's how, we, that's how we're gonna grow. We're not gonna grow together by sitting in rows, we grow together um, around uh, tables. And like I said, we haven't got this nailed down, we've begun and we're gonna be putting a lot more energy into this in the years to come. All of this is what I'm trying to say here. The most important thing is these three things are just means of grace. These are conduits through which we are able to follow Jesus. These are the conduits, the ways that we can position ourselves through which the Holy Spirit can come and fill our lives. You know, you don't wanna make this mistake. You don't wanna be concentrated so much on the form that you forget about the fire. Does that make sense? We're formed we're into the spiritual formation for the very reason that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's the major thing here. So we don't wanna be like experts of all these things and forget actually the key thing about this in following Jesus is actually to know his presence in our lives, to be walking with Jesus. Remember, we're following Jesus, not on Twitter. We're actually literally saying, where are you in my life? I want to follow you and have you um, present with me. Um, so, but the point really I wanna make from all of this by putting up these two different models is really this. You know, it doesn't matter kind of not so much what you believe, but human beings are always in the process of formation. And right now, you're either on a trajectory that is becoming more like Christ, or you're on a trajectory that is becoming less like Christ. We're always in the process of formation. Spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. Spiritual formation is quite simply a human thing. So my question this morning is this. If you think about your life and you chart out the narrative arc or you chart out the character of your life, where does it land 10, 20, 30 years from now? Notice I didn't ask you what do you want it to be. That's a very important question, but that's not my question I'm asking you this morning. I'm saying here you are here. Where's the, you know, as you chart out the character or the kind of narrative arc of your life, where does it end up 10, 20 30 years uh, from now. You know, human beings were always changing. So the question becomes, are we becoming more free or less free? Are we have our lives more filled with joy or less filled with joy? Are we more generous or are we gonna be less generous? Are we gonna be more controlling or less controlling? Because this process of formation is always in play. C.S. Lewis, it's hard to beat him, he says this, it's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet now, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Pretty sobering, isn't it? It's pretty sobering stuff. I want to um, come into land, believe it or not. I'm just gonna have a sip as we do that. Wheels up. Oh, wheels down, actually, coming into land. Um, by, um, <laughs> preachers always say that. They just mean they're gonna circle the airport for another 10 minutes. Um, I want to, um, kind of like close off by foreshadowing where I want to head to uh, next week because again, we've got to remember our vision here at St. Augustine's is following or practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. This is not an in-house strategy. This is a mission strategy. And again, like since we're on this super nerdy vibe this morning, um, the Greek word here for go is the word from the back. Julia, off you go. Parathentes. So the Greek word is parathentes. And the, here is what's important about this word is it's a passive, it's an aorist passive participle. So normally we think about Jesus saying to the disciples, go and make the disciples. So go and make disciples. And it suggests that here are the disciples here, and when they go here, they're to make disciples. But as an aorist passive participle, the idea is actually not so much that we not do anything here, but it happens here, but the, it's the idea of as you are going, 
So as you go, make disciples. And the vision here is that in the process of disciple making is that this discipleship, you know, the, the renewing culture of the kingdom actually is to spread into every sphere of life. Can we hit the next slide? So the idea here is that in fact, the, you know, the, the goal of St. Augustine's is not to become a massive St. Augustine's. The goal of here is not to gather people here. They actually will be a successful church to the degree to which we send people out there. The goal is to renew culture. The goal is, but in order to do that, we need to be properly formed uh, ourselves. So again, the goal here is not to kind of, the success of St. Augustine's is not gonna be how many people we gather here. It's actually how many people we send out there and the impact that you will make into every sphere in which uh, you are working. I am gonna come into land with a story that um, I've said uh, a couple of times ago, but it's such a good story, I make no apologies in saying it again. And it's a story about uh, an amazing pastor in Germany, his name uh, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he was uh, you know, one of the most outstanding academics uh, that turned pastor, it's an easy slide to make, um, and he was executed by the Nazis in the Second World War. Just before the war started, Bonhoeffer was given the opportunity to take up a prestigious teaching post in New York, but he uh, decided that, in fact, it's better not to escape the conflict, but rather he decided to stay and pastor his church. As the war rolled on, it became, he became like increasingly alarmed at the way that the German church, or the German confessing church, kind of was part, seemed to be wrapped up very much in the Nazi party and complicit with what they were doing. And so he decided to set up a small theological college out in the, in the border of Poland, in, the, in Poland, out in the woods, and he poured his life into 150 future church leaders. And um, Bonhoeffer himself, he came from an aristocratic family, very well healed, very well cultured family, and one day, one of his um, you know, aristocratic friends came from Berlin uh, to, uh, into the woods uh, on the border of Poland to try to convince him, say, hey, look, you know, dude, this is madness, right? This is, this is crazy what you're doing here. This is, this is not going to work. And um, the small little place, um, the small little um, theological college was called Finkenwald, and he, um, the friend came to him there, and what Bonhoeffer didn't try to convince him otherwise. What he did is asked him to hop into a boat, and they rode across the other side of the lake. They rode across the lake, and then they climbed a hill. And at the top of the hill, they looked down into the valley over to the right. And in the valley to, over to the right was a training camp for uh, the Nazi war machine. And he quite simply stood on the ridge and said to his friends, pointing at Finkenwald, saying, this needs to be stronger than that. This needs to be stronger than that. And that's the same with us here. When it comes to spiritual formation, this needs to be stronger than that. We are all being formed, and if we're gonna be people that actually bring something of the renewing culture of the kingdom into our culture, into the places of our work, and not just reflect our culture back into the workplace and, and into society, then this needs to be stronger than that. And, it, and, I, and I have to be honest here, as much as I love Sunday mornings and I pour my life and energy uh, into Sunday mornings, you know, the two hours here 
isn't gonna basically be stronger than the other 162 hours you know, out there. It's just not gonna do it. And while I'm, what I'm saying, I'm certainly not saying this, you know, I'm not saying, well, forget Sunday. All I'm saying, if it's gonna take more than Sunday, it's not gonna take less than Sunday for us to thrive. And so that's why we're so much about developing a model of spiritual formation that involves teaching, practice, and community. This is why we're deeply, you know, laser focused on creating an environment of discipleship because uh, not only for us, not only for our guests or our family, but for our kids so that we can be disciples that bring the renewing power and the renewing element of the kingdom into every sphere of which we work. Is that cool? We can't do this by ourselves. It's not gonna be just fancy teaching and amazing discipleship programs. It actually relies on the spirit as well. So our courage to step out, absolutely. Absolutely your courage to, to do this. But it's actually mostly about the spirit being in, being in us and working through us as well. So what we're gonna do in a moment, we're gonna have communion together. And it's an amazing sign of saying, yes, Lord, I'm open to you. I'm open to all that you have for us. And as we take this bread and wine, what we're doing is saying like, hey, I want God's presence in my life in order that I might carry healing, justice, and mercy and a vision of human flourishing into the world. Does that make sense? So it's a kind of a prayer. We take this as a kind of a prayer, but also a promise that we're gonna step into this world with Jesus, with the renewing power uh, of the kingdom as well. So let's stand together.